And welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm sure some of you all noticed last week, sound quality was a little bit better on the recording, I think, and that's because I used an AI software that essentially recreated the recording, removing all unnecessary background noise and recreating my voice almost without that noise in the background. So technically it wasn't really me speaking. It was translating my voice and then making a voice that sounds similar to mine and saying all the words that I said, as crazy as that sounds. And who knows, maybe in a couple months, it'll just totally do the episode by itself and take credit for it. But today we are going to be talking about confidence. And before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to re revisit something that we talked about in our first episode about nuance. And confidence was one of the examples that we gave as a thing that has nuance in it. So let's just do a quick recap on that, is that we don't say either we are confident or we're not confident about ourselves or about anyone. It's always the question is, how confident are we? We're somewhere between zero confidence and 100 confidence. And the truth is, every single person is somewhere in between. Think of the most confident person you can. And they're not 100% confident. There are things that they're insecure about, or there are things that they can be more confident about. And take the least confident person in your mind. Well, they might be more confident than they think they are. So all of us are somewhere in the middle. We're always moving in one direction, hopefully moving towards more confidence. But we're never we really never completely get there. We're always fluctuating somewhere in the middle and hopefully throughout life, we're always getting better in all areas of life, getting more confident, learning more, doing better and becoming better people overall. So with that being said, I like to think of confidence as having two subcategories. So there is the general confidence that I feel like gets talked about more where it's like, how confident are you walking down the street? Just how do you feel? You know, like to feel confident, to feel insecure. That's what I like to think of as a general type of confidence. But then there's also confidence about specific things, like performing a specific task. For instance, a musical piece that you've been preparing, building a house, doing a move on a skateboard. If you asked me to do a certain move on a skateboard, I would feel very unconfident doing that move. And the reason why is because simply I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to skateboard. I don't know how to do that move on the skateboard. Which brings us to the main point about confidence, and that is that confidence is very much tied to competence. It's an outcome of competence, really. Think about it. Something that you would consider yourself competent in. Maybe if you've been at your career now for, let's say, 10, 20 years, doing it day in, day out, you're probably pretty good at your job or at least parts of your job. So if you had to perform that specific part of your job, let's say, that you're very good at and comfortable with in front of a lot of people or with very short notice and it was a high-pressure situation, it might not be fun, but you probably would be able to do a pretty good job because the truth is you wouldn't even be using your brain. It's almost on autopilot. To give a example that could apply to all of us on a certain level, all of us can unlock our phones without putting in any effort. Let's say a lot of money was on the line to see how fast we could unlock our phones. If we could like separate the pressure from it in some way, the truth is we all would be very confident we'd be able to unlock our phones because we do it so much. We do it without even looking on, at our phone. We know exactly where to touch the fingerprint scanner, how to put it in front of our face, how to do the code. We know that we do it so often that that it doesn't even require brain power. It's, it's habitual. It's so ingrained in our brains to do it that honestly, we're not even thinking about it. For me, I the first song I learned on the piano was My Heart Will Go On from Titanic, the movie Titanic, that is. And that song... I can play, you can wake me up from a, dr a drunken stupor, and I can still play that song in C major. I could probably sing the lyrics to Uptown Funk and play that song and not make a mistake playing it in a simple version. So if you want me to play it with like, 
you know, let's say to transpose it or to do a key change at the end or do some fancy arpeggio pattern, probably then I would not be able to do it perfectly because that would actually require effort. I'm doing something that I'm not comfortable with, but to play it in its simplest form, I've done it so many times that I don't even need to use my brain. It's total muscle memory. So to for me to perform that song is 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 so ingrained in my brain how to do it and my hands how to do it that I would consider myself competent playing that song on a simple level. And therefore, if I had to play that song in front of a thousand people, but again, at its simplest level where I've been doing it for years, I'd be pretty confident doing that without making a mistake because it's just, it's so ingrained. I, I've done it so many times. It's nothing new. It's nothing difficult. And that's essentially what it comes down to for everything. Every, throughout the entire day, we are always, well, truly, we're always doing something, even if that something is a passive thing. And when you think about it, if we were confident in everything that we were doing throughout the day, then going back to that distinction we made in the beginning about general confidence versus specific confidence, we would have a general sense of confidence because every single task we're doing, we're confident that we're confident getting up in the morning, brushing our teeth, taking a shower, making breakfast, driving to work, doing our work, driving home, going to the gym, hanging out with our friends, doing whatever we do before we go to sleep. Like if, if, if all those things are things that we're so routine in doing, and require very little effort on our part to perform those tasks because they're so ingrained and we, let's say, don't deviate from those things, we would feel pretty confident overall because all the things that we are doing throughout the day every day are things that we're very, very comfortable with and don't need us to even really think twice in order to do it. So the short answer is that if we want to become confident at a specific thing, like for instance, doing that cool skateboard 360 move, the answer would be you have to practice it. I mean, the fate, the common saying from Malcolm Gladwell is that to, I believe it's to achieve mastery in any specific thing, you need to do it for 10,000 hours. Now, this doesn't apply to things that are easy, like playing tic-tac-toe. You probably can master that in probably one hour. I have not. I still don't know if you should go in the corridors or in the middle. But if you wanted to master tic-tac-toe, you could probably do it in like 30 minutes because it's not, it's, it's not a complicated thing. It's very simplistic. There's not a lot of nuance there. You could become a master at it in a very short amount of time, I think. I believe that's what I think, but things that are complicated, like riding a skateboard, learning to ride a bike, learning an instrument, learning how to sing, changing careers, becoming an engineer, becoming a plumber, becoming an actuary, starting a podcast, all these things are things that are not simple in nature. They're very complex. They're very nuanced, have a lot of different components to them. And for most people are not things that come naturally. We need to spend a lot of time doing these things in order to achieve mastery, in order to achieve that level of competence. So for me, I have been working as an actuary for about a year and a half. And if you ask me, are you confident as in your skills as an actuary? I would say absolutely not. Most certainly not. Now, that being said, there are times that I come across a task that has a certain cadence that I notice that I've gotten better at it. I'm, it's more clear in my mind how to do it. I have questions that I had before that now I understand. And all those are very good signs. But that being said, am I confident in general and my ability as an actuary? I would say most certainly not. But the thing is, I don't even say that in a self-deprecating way. I've only been doing it for a year and a half. So I don't think that's enough time to achieve mastery in this topic when people are doing this for 10, 20 years and they're still getting better every year, right? So things like that, that are just complicated in nature, it's going to take time to achieve mastery in them. And I think it's important for us to be aware that the confidence in that thing is going to come with being competent at performing those tasks or that specific thing. And that comes with time. And this applies to everything that's complex in nature. I know I use the example of playing an instrument very often, but I think for this in particular, it's a very good example. They say piano is one of those 
instruments that it's easy to learn like right away, like easy to learn the basics, easy to learn your favorite song right away, which is why I think it's a great instrument as like a first instrument to learn, but it's very, very hard to master and you can basically be getting better at it your entire life. So things like that, you don't just do it right away and do it perfectly. That being said, there is a concept of giftedness where there are people that kind of break these rules, that they're just good at things right away. Kind of makes the rest of us jealous and it's important to not compare ourselves to others. As we, as we mentioned before, they say Elton John, when he was three, he was already a better pianist than most people become in their entire lives at any point in their life. Now, I'd imagine that being said, he's probably a better pianist now than he was when he was three. I'm pretty confident about that. But he had a certain giftedness about it without putting in the effort that would be necessary for most others to put in. And it's not our place or our job to compare ourselves to others, like we said. But for most people, in most cases, things that are difficult like that are going to take time and going to take effort. And only with achieving that mastery and that level of competence will we really feel confident in that ability. And that takes time and that's okay. Moving on to a more general competence, just confidence in everyday life, just feeling good about ourselves, feeling confident, that kind of thing, which I think is the type of confidence that is spoken about more often. I think very often this comes down to the first 10 or 15 years of our lives, which we're essentially in a mild state of hypnosis when you think about it. If you have kids or nieces or nephews, or maybe you're in education or childcare, if you have ever, I recall playing with one of my nephews and I think we're on the sidewalk and someone rides down the street on a bike and he's looking at it in wonderment. And I'm like, you see that thing? That's a bike. And he looks at it with this daze on his face and he's like, bike? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a bike. And you see those, you almost just says if you see the gears turning in his head, like, oh, that's a bike. And he's learning all every day. Like when you, when someone's that little, there's so much to learn every day. They're learning new things, they're interacting with people and their minds are literally being shaped. And we are so vulnerable at that point in our lives to positive or negative input from our environment. So I think very often issues with confidence are direct, directly related to interactions we've had with authority figures that made us feel not so good at a time that we were not able to protect ourselves. So most of the time, I believe this comes from a parent, an older sibling, or a teacher, someone who we view with authority, that maybe they made fun of us, maybe they called us stupid, maybe they said we'll always be a failure, let's just say one of those things. Now, if that would happen when we're 20, 30, 40, most of the time, at that point in your life, you're at a, you're at a stage where you can deflect what they say and not even think twice about it. Hopefully, at least we're striving to be at that point and move on with your day and not make much of it because it's just words. We should let us let it affect us, especially when it's coming from someone that we don't necessarily associate with or hold in high regard. That being said, when we're at this young age, we don't have that ability to defend ourselves. We, we just take it the same way the same way I told my nephew that that is a bike and he's not going to challenge me. He's just going to believe that's a bike. If someone, when they're young, is told that they're a failure, God forbid, then they're going to believe that they're a failure. And even when they're 30, when really they're they're all grown up and they'd be at the point where if someone called them a failure then, they would say, who are you to tell me what you think I am? But at the age of 10, they were not able to defend themselves. And what I think is one of the hardest type of work that we have to do as adults is to revisit times in our past where we may have experienced a trauma like this and to somehow come to peace with it, re-evaluate it, and in the depths of our minds, really let it go 
and revisit that thing, address with the trauma that occurred and reprocess it in a healthier way that we are now, now able to do as adults. And this is extremely hard to do, I'll just say, because these things are so ingrained in us. They happen at such a young age. And at times we may have been experiencing this sentiment or feeling for a very long time. And as we've discussed before, one of the hardest things in life to do is change habits. And this applies to mental habits also. If your mind is so accustomed to talking negatively to yourself, feeling insecure about a certain thing based off of something that happened in our childhood, a moment of embarrassment or admonishment, then it's very hard to rewire that part of your brain to think differently. That being said, it's far from impossible. I have, uh, the, the story that comes to mind here is that I know this, uh, I know a musician who's, who's my age and he's awesome. Like he's so good. I like, I hope one day I can be as good as him. He's unbelievable. I overheard him telling the story maybe about a year ago where someone, someone was talking to him about uh, getting into music production, composing music, you know, kind of doing it for a living. Like he does it just for pleasure. He's so good. But he's almost asking like, oh, like, did you ever think about going into it professionally, composing music, producing music, that whole thing. And he said, well, when I was young, I composed a song and I thought it was pretty good. And I played it for this guy I knew who was older, who was a, who was a music producer and asked him what he thought. And he listened to it. And he said, it's okay, but it's not good enough to actually make money or sell. And he told me that this really affected him. Like he thinks even to this day, he is a good musician. Like I, he's really, really good. But he thinks even to this day, in some subliminal part of his mind, it's a certain hesitance to produce music because some rando, when he was 10 years old, told him that it's not good enough. And it's like, it, it's so, when you think about it, so stupid that you would let something from some stranger it could be, or someone who you at this point in life hold no respect or regard for, but you let them essentially dictate the way you live your lives because it's so built into your brain because it happened at such a young age. So we all, I think, have had traumas like this and things that are holding us back in our adulthood because of things we were told or experienced as a child. And I think it's very important to to revisit that. If, if we notice that there's a certain setting or a certain area of our life where we just feel very out of place and very unconfident in, I think it's important to go back and re try to remember times in our childhood where we may have been in that situation and we might may have experienced a moment of embarrassment or failure or someone yelling at us. And then we, for the rest of our lives until today, are still afraid and unconfident about that thing. Maybe we played basketball when we were seven and we airballed and everyone in the class made fun of us for airballing. And now it's like we like sports, but we're afraid to play basketball because it's like in adulthood, uh, Jordan Peterson in uh, 12 Rules for Life was talking about this idea. And he said, he said in a very academic way, he's like this, the, there is not a very large population of extant bullies in adulthood, something like that. As in like most bullies, quote unquote, go extinct, quote unquote, in adulthood, really only exist in childhood. But at the same time that these bullies that don't exist anymore, essentially they're kind of still dictating your life if, if you let them. And I think it's important for us to revisit those times and traumas in our childhood, revisit it, let them go. This is where meditation, hypnosis, I think can be very helpful too, to revisit those times in our past that are still holding us down. So we really do feel a bit about ourselves in areas of our lives that we may have once failed at a long time ago. I'd like to close by discussing the three things that you are doing that are making you come off as extremely unconfident. So here we go. The first category are things that you probably are saying that come off very unconfident. Things like saying, I think way too often. And God knows I am so guilty of this. I can transcribe this recording and control F, how many times I said I think, way too many times. People, 
everything you say by definition is something you think. And the truth is that I'm probably saying I think before things that I'm less certain of as a way to almost give it a little more buffer. Like this thing I, I'm even less sure of. So I wouldn't say, like you wouldn't say I think two plus two is four because that you're hundred percent certain of things that you say, I think before are probably things that you're less certain of. And it's making you come up as much less confident when you say this often. Now, that being said, to say it once in a while, when it's something that you want to communicate, you have less certainty about, there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, that may even look more confident to show that you're okay being uncertain about something. But to say it over and over is basically just saying that you are not certain about anything. Other words that I think are making you seem very unconfident are words like just or I wanted, things like that. So this comes up a lot at work for like work emails. I'll notice that sometimes when I'm talking to a higher up or something that I'm really not certain of, I'll say, oh, I just wanted to check in about this thing. <laughs> and in that case, I said it both. I said just and wanted. I didn't even realize just now I was saying both. Or you might say like, I wanted to ask you this. Like, well, just ask the question or say like, I, I, I just was looking through this file. You know what I mean? Like you say that just, it's, it's a little bit, it makes it a little bit softer. Like I just was wanted to do this. I adjust this, or I wanted to ask, you know what I mean? Whereas like I said, you can ask the question, don't say like, I wanted to just ask it or don't say like, I just was doing like, just say what you were doing, you know? So I, for me, like at work, I understand why I do this is because I feel not so confident around certain people about a specific thing. So those, that's a symptom of feeling that way is using words like that. But the truth is it's it's making you come off very unconfident when when you talk like that. And some of you might challenge by saying, like, well, you know, it's just a word, you know, just a word I use. It doesn't really mean doesn't really mean anything as far as how I feel confident-wise. But the thing is, I want you to really think about this. There are certain words and certain tones and body languages that I really think, there you go, hand this thing, that I believe are they they give you a window into what's going on in, inside someone's head. I think the best way to illustrate this is that if you ask your friend, how did your day go today? And they respond, it was good. How do you translate that? Versus you ask them how their day was and they say, good. How do those two things differ from each other? They use the same words basically, but the tonality was totally different, which is why texting is, to me, it's an awful form of communication because it's literally, it's just the text. It strips the tone in which something is said, which is extremely important and the body language. So even like that little experiment we just did. So I said the same word in two different tones. And even there, obviously you can tell which was which, but you didn't see my body language. That would have, I think, even made it more convincing. So when you say something in a high-pitched voice or the tonality is going up like this, like, yeah, it was good. That usually means that the thing that you're saying is something that you're not certain about, or you are not really, what you say is not really what you mean. Like if you say it was good, it usually means it was like mediocre at best. Whereas like if you nod and look down and see with downward tonality, it was good, then it probably was good. So we do get a glimpse into what's going on inside someone's mind based off of certain word choices or tonalities that they use. And I think just and wanted are really the same idea. Another thing that we do that makes us look very unconfident is constant apologizing. Apologizing for everything, for being in someone's way, for not knowing exactly how to get somewhere when they give you directions for not returning a text or a call immediately for not being so clear on how to do a task after only doing it once for making a very small innocent mistake like we people we say i'm sorry all the time and it's like what are you what are you apologizing for like are you just like sorry for existing and for being in people's way like stop apologizing for everything i would prefer people i would prefer for me to interact with people that were way too overconfident and cocky almost to the point where it's like disgusting 
versus people that are just so apologetic about everything. I adopted for myself to not use the words I'm sorry unless I'm actually apologizing for something. So I could be in the supermarket about to bump into someone with my shopping cart doing that awkward thing where you don't know who's going which way. And I'll say, pardon me. I replace it with pardon me. I think it's much, pardon me is, uh, it's not really an apology. It's it's basically like it's just addressing the, the I guess, conflict, if, if you will, that you're in in that case. Versus like, I'm sorry, it's like if you wrong someone, if you if you do some, if you do wrong by someone, if you hurt someone emotionally, physically, financially, then you can say, I'm sorry, if you actually feel sorry, you're actually apologizing. But other than that, we shouldn't be saying, I'm sorry, we shouldn't be apologizing for things that we're not sorry for that we shouldn't be sorry for. And I think these words should really just be reserved for when we're actually sorry for our actions negatively affecting another person. Otherwise, we should totally erase these words from our vocabulary. Do not apologize for something if you're not sorry for it or if you shouldn't be sorry for it. And the third thing that is making you look way too unconfident is what I call the preemptive disqualification. What does this mean? Well, a good, a good example of a preemptive disqualification is if to start this podcast, I would have said, well, you know, I'm going to do my best, but I don't really have so much time to prepare. You know, I was busy. You know, I was... Like I got lost on the way back to my house and my door broke down and then like there was a cat in my house and then like, you know, my notebook was all weird and, you know, I got all nervous and then like if, like if I, and then I jumped into the content, I'd basically be telling you before I even started that this is going to be a sucky episode and you shouldn't even listen. Whereas I can literally do the same exact episode, but if I didn't give that intro, you wouldn't go in with knowing that this is going to be a bad episode and maybe it's not a bad episode. I used to do this all the time. I remember I auditioned for my college acapella group several times actually. I was always rejected, but one of the times I, I I auditioned, I before I sang the song that I prepared, I said something like, "Oh well, you know, I haven't really been singing for so long, and you know, I'm, I'm starting to learn about like music theory and piano, but I haven't really been doing it for a while, and my voice is kind of sore, and I want to do my like that kind of thing." And I think in my mind, I justified it by just trying to be upfront and honest, which I think a lot of people that do this will tell you they're just trying to be honest. But the thing is that I could theoretically. My audition maybe was good enough to get me into the group, but before I started, everyone viewed me as someone who did not have such a good voice because I told them that this was not going to be so good because I'm just a beginner. Whereas if you prepare to the best of your ability and then deliver on what you're what you are performing, if you didn't tell the audience that this was going to be bad, they might not think it was bad. This applies to to, to presenting in meetings, applies to job interviews applies to public speaking. Like you ever hear someone speak and before they start the speech, you're like, well, you know, they like rummaging through their notes and like, oh, like, I don't know if I'm, you know, so qualified for this. And this was like a last minute thing. They're almost like another reason why I think people might do this is they're kind of like letting themselves off the hook for failure. But it's like, stop saying that this is not going to be good. Just do your best and try to come off confident. And believe it or not, like people, if you pretend and you act confident and you deliver your speech, your music piece, your interview, your presentation, people might just assume it's good just because you said it with authority and you didn't apologize beforehand and say a million reasons why it's not going to be good. You do that and it doesn't even matter what the content is. People are just going to interpret it as bad and low quality. So please stop with the preemptive disqualification. Prepare for whatever it is as good as you can and then once it's time to perform, do not say why you are going to fail. Just do your best. And if you do it confidently, you might be surprised. People might just assume that you are good at what you do or you know what the hell you're talking about. Well, sadly, it looks like we've reached the end of our time. I want you to really give yourself a pat on the back. Give yourself some credit for it. Even if you are struggling with confidence or other areas of life, I want you to give yourself credit for having the guts to even listen to this episode and to whether this resonated with you or didn't, but just have the courage to put some effort and time into trying to better your life 
in whatever way that you are trying to really give yourself a pat on the back. Because like I've said before, I really believe that people go through their lives just going through the motions, not really putting an effort to become a better person. And if you're still with me at this point in the episode, a few episodes in, really give yourself a pat on the back because you deserve it. We will close with the following quote. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? That is the only time a man can be brave. George R.R. Martin. Friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week, we are back and we are talking about mindset. Don't forget to tune in then. This is the Always Nuance podcast. Talk to y'all later.